Ah, this is, <laughs> this is fun. Um, wow. 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 Um, <laughs> welcome back to Let Me Think Out Loud. I'm your host, um, Justin Pugh, coming to you uh, the day after the election 2016, Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. And um, there's only one word that can describe what happened last night, and that is cataclysmic. Um, I'm not sure if there's any other words that I can describe uh, what happened last night. Um, last night was difficult. Last night was unforeseen. Um, I can't say that um, it wasn't a night that wasn't felt or a night that wasn't, um, you know, in any way um, not foreseen but it definitely is a night that will go down in history as one of the most um, politically um, it changed the nature of our politics for a very long time um, in case you all haven't known um, Donald Trump is the 45th president of the United States. He is now president-elect Donald J. Trump. And, um, yeah, we have to move on. Um, I don't know what else to really say or how else to explain it. Um, I guess we're in that kind of that five stages of grief, and now it's time to... Um, come to terms with it and and that's really all that we can say but we'll have plenty of time to really um you know parse the results uh, you know play with the numbers try to understand what happened in the electorate um but in the meantime um while i get some things taken care of I'm going to bring my friend John on so we can kind of talk about this, soothe one another, take any of your questions if you have them, and um, kind of go from there. So for the next hour, we're just going to be talking about the race, talking about what happened. How did he do it? How did he do it? So with that, where you at, John? Hey, this is John. Um... You know, I think he did it with a, with a combination of a variety of things. I think um, the assumptions and the prediction models, um, you know, probably downplayed the uh, white uh, vote, the whites without college degrees. Yeah. It downplayed that. I think it, uh, um, you, you know, I think that's that's something that the, the models downplayed, I think. I think it probably estimated um, when the models were adjusted, they, they adjusted them wrong. I think there was this notion that white women were going to go to Hillary. That's what most of the polls and prediction models were saying. That was completely wrong. Um, 
you know, there was this notion that, you know, uh, you know, the Obama coalition would come back. It, it did not. The Obama coalition was not out. I think there were a lot of folks that were very mad at the Democratic Party for very good reason. Um, but, uh, you know, I wish they had come out in higher numbers, but I can't really uh, put myself in their shoes. So I'm sure they feel very different. Um, you know, their experiences with the Democratic Party are probably not as good as mine. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think um, essentially the models and the polls that go into the prediction models made the wrong assumptions. Yeah. Because you can't you can't do any um, quantitative modeling, any uh, statistical modeling without making some generalizations, some assumptions based off past information. Right. Well, that did not hold true. <laughs> Ain't that and, the fucking uh, truth? <laughs> you know, I think what we what we co- what we end up discussing is what changed. What, what changed? changed? What assumptions changed that made this election very different? Yeah. Um, you know, I asked you six days ago, um, was there something in the undercurrent? I asked you, you know, John, tell me that we're not missing something. Tell me that we're not underestimating something that was happening at the undercurrent of the elect of the electorate that would have led to Donald Trump winning um, in a landslide. Um, that's what happened. Um you know, the entire Obama coalition, the blue wall, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, Ohio, and f- how in, in, in God's name, Pennsylvania, um, how those states fell um, is uh, still quite baffling to me. It it's, really- it's several factors going wrong. Go ahead. It's not just one. Yeah. You know, I think... Um, you've got to remember the fact that President Obama did have a sect of working class white voters. And these were the ones who were organized by unions. They're in union towns in Michigan and Ohio. And uh, this was before President Obama was had signed on to TPP and yeah. that, how that, that had become public um, information. Uh, and so in 2008 and 2012, he still had a chunk of working class white voters who had been historically those union Democratic voters. I think the fact that in the Rust Belt, Hillary did not win those union counties, that hurt her in a close race. Yeah, it did. That hurt her. Now, uh, that coupled with black turnout not being where it's at. Now, I'm pretty sure the Clinton campaign knew that black turnout wasn't going to be what it was for the first black president. They were kidding themselves if they thought anything different. But I did not think, I do not think they thought they would lose so many votes from Rust Belt Democrats. These are Democrats, Rust Belt Democrats to Donald Trump. But Kent, is is there something to be said about, you know, she won where she was supposed to win. You know, we won, you know, Montgomery County. We won... Philadelphia, we won Milwaukee, we won Broward, we won Miami-Dade, you know, we won in all the pockets she was supposed to win, but boy, did we miss on the, the 
the the the shellacking she took in rural parts of you know take Michigan for example you know f- for every two votes she got in you know she got in you know a Milwaukee um she took an absolute beating up north and um I'm not entirely sure and and not to mention you know take for you know take Wisconsin she did not campaign in Wisconsin since getting the nomination and so you know I said it this morning uh, on on Facebook that you know the RNC spent 175 million dollars on their on their analytics and their data models and their data models, uh, according to what I read this morning from the New York Times, um, had him within a tenth of a percent. Every every poll, every data metric, every analytics, they went to where their voters were. That's why he was in. That's why he was in Wisconsin. That's why he was in Michigan. That's why he was in Ohio. That's why he was in North Carolina. That's why he was in Florida. The last the last four days of the election, we noticed Donald Trump was you know for I guess a lack of a better term, you know um, disciplined. He was on message, but he was on message in the right places. And so it should have, it should have, um, it should have really um, sent, rung some alarm, uh, some alarm bells to us that we're campaigning in Michigan. The president's in Ann Arbor. Uh, she's in Detroit. Why? Well, the reason why is because their polls showed the race was tight. The Republicans' poll showed the race was tight, and every single polling metric that Donald Trump went by was in the, was within the margin of error. And that's how he pulled out Florida. That's how he pulled out North Carolina. That's how he pulled out Pennsylvania. That's how he pulled out Michigan. And that's how he pulled out Wisconsin. Donald Trump campaigned where they needed where they needed to win. And for the first time in my generation and your generation, um, the blue wall fell. The blue wall absolutely collapse. So here's my question to you, John. Are we going to have to rebuild the Democratic Party or are we going to have to rebrand our message? Which one? Well, I think it's a combination of both. I think we have a growing uh, millennial part of the electorate that is not easy to turn out. They will sit at home in a heartbeat. We don't have to like it, but it's just the reality. Yeah. So we need a message that emotionally gets to them every time, every midterm, every general election. Is it the message or is it, you you, you told me last week that it's not necessarily, that we're movement, that our generation, we're movement, we're we're a movement electorate. Um, In our generation, we we, we are done by movements. So are you telling me that we're going to have to depend on an individual um, another Barack Obama, because there ain't no Barack Obama in, on the bench right now. That just ain't going to happen. Um, well, we need a combination of a Bernie Sanders and Barack Obama, because quite a few millennials who I call super woke are not too <laughs> pleased with President Obama. They like him and they appreciate him as the first black president, but they demand someone more progressive. They want a Bernie Sanders style progressive. And so you need someone with the style of Barack Obama, but the policy agenda of Bernie Sanders. That is 
I'm conceding that. And this is tough for me to concede. I am a center-left type of guy. I'm a, I'm a centrist. Yeah. And um, who leans left. It is hard for me to concede this, but I am willing to go along with the Bernie movement types if it means midterm victories. Here's if, the, it means, but, but here, if it means Democrats taking back the House, taking back the Senate, winning governor's races – I will do it. I will. I will go along with it and and, and and march with them and walk with them and be a part of their movement. Um, if it means uh, progressive governing. Here, here's the here's the rub, and I'm going to get to some questions here shortly. But um, here's the rub. What's what's fascinating about you mentioning Bernie Sanders, and when we go back to the primaries. There wasn't much difference, but there wasn't a, a a large difference between the message of Donald Trump, economic populism, and the message of Bernie Sanders. The only thing that the the differentiates the two is Donald Trump was bombastic. He was, you know, he, everything he he talked about had a racial undertone to it. It had a a racist undertone to it. It was never about, you know. A unity message of, um, you know, building a, an economy from the bottom up, um, having a bottom up movement, um, you know, building, you know, building a, a, an economy that works for everybody. It was an economy that worked for a nostalgic 1950s, bring back the steel mills um, and, you know, uh, you know, leave everybody else behind message. And if we're going to rebuild or rebrand ourselves, we're going to be rebranding ourselves now, I hate to say it, on a Republican message. Because right now, what happened yesterday, Republicans own the populist message. They own that. Donald Trump is the loudest trumpet of, um, of economic populism that we have right now, and we're going to be fighting on their turf and on their terms. So I don't know how that how that dynamic is going to work, but what you're saying is that it it's one that has to be done. Am I right? It has to it has to be done. And what what Donald Trump has shown is that across the aisle there's a demand for economic populism. Across the aisle. It just depends on who's delivering it and how you're delivering it. And if what type of movement you're starting? Why didn't Hillary Clinton get that? She had to have seen it in the polling data. I mean, well, she, they had Hillary to have seen Clinton it. Hillary Clinton could try all day long to be an economic populist, and it just would not fit her. It's just not who she is. Yeah. It's not what she believes. Nobody would buy it. You know, I, I was reading a, a list of all of Hillary Clinton's donors. I think it was... Um, one of my friends, Sam Levin, who had a list of all of Hillary Clinton's donors and basically warned, we can be the party of Goldman Sachs and the Lehman Brothers, um, or we can be the party of, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. I just lost my Facebook feed. Um, but we can't be both. And, um, Something, something has to be done, and and I don't know what that what 
what that something is? Well, essentially, you know, I hate conceding this. This is not something I want to concede, but I feel like this is really um, the only uh, option we have. The only option we have is to become this populist party that is geared towards millennials. You get millennials turning out every cycle. You get a movement for millennials where they vote at every single level. Yeah. And it gets them as passionate as the Trump voters. You, The Republicans won't be able to beat the Democrats because the demographic advantage of the country will actually be applied. See, Barack Obama applied the demographic advantage. Yeah. Hillary was not able to do that. But we, but our our demographic didn't turn out last night. Um, they didn't that's turn out last saying. night. She wasn't able to do it, and so that's because he comes off as the old guard. You know, I like Hillary. I don't mind her old guard style of politics. Um, as much as she tries to modernize, everything about her says old guard because she has the name Clinton. She is the former first lady. Yeah. From of a, of a very old guard Democrat. He's so old guard that when he ran for president, he won states like Tennessee and Georgia. He won Southern He won Arkansas. You know, he was a Southern Democrat who basically had a very different coalition. Um, who are you talking about? You talking about Barack Obama? I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, Bill Clinton. Right. Okay. 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 He was a, he was an old guard Democrat who had some of the old Democratic coalition. Yeah, which included white Southerners. Right, and that is how he swept the country both times. Uh, and you know, Bill Clinton was also very popular uh, um, in the Rust Belt. Uh, and so I think um, Hillary thought that she would be able to. You know, pick up some of her husband's coalition, but also pick get some of the Obama's coalition. She did not get her husband's coalition. Um, because, let's just face it, white people have left the Democratic Party in masses since Bill Clinton was president. And that's just fact. So, the, you know, the challenge of a, of a Democrat post-Obama is that Obama set in stone almost the uh, permanent changes to, to the landscape of of who is it, who votes Democrat, who votes Republican. And of course, that's that's not all. It's not always the case. I mean, you do get Democrats post Obama who have uh, been elected by that old demographic of the, of the party. It, it, it happens, but not that much. And it's not very easy. So I want to ask a question. I I have an anecdote uh, for you here and I can't name her name because she works with me. So I can't really, you know, discuss what her name is, but you know, she's a, you know, you know, late fifties, um, you know, white female. Uh, she lives in rural South Carolina and, um, her husband is, they bleed, they bleed red. They are, they are staunch, conservative Republicans. And so I asked her, I said, hey, um, what didn't we get 
and you can see the emotion, you can see the anger, you can see the resentment in her when I asked her that question. And she says people were mad as hell. They're tired of, these are her words, working to take care of five people, meaning I'm tired of my tax dollars going to your welfare system while I bust my ass every day. She said that the elites made fun of people like me who don't have an advanced education. They made fun of us. They forgotten us. And Donald Trump spoke to us. And they were angry. They were mad. And we did not get that anger. We didn't get that anger. And I don't know how it was missed. But that anger last night turned into a movement. This is a new conservative movement. And I hate to say it and, and you know, forgive me when I say this. But what just happened yesterday will probably, if done correctly by Donald Trump and his camp and, and, and his administration, will make him more consequential than Ronald Reagan. Will make him more consequential than Ronald Reagan. They're going to flip the court 6-3. They're going to pack federal benches with, with deep red conservative judges. The Affordable Care Act is going to be surgically dismantled over time. Um, you know, there's going to be a tidal wave of conservative policy, and it's already begun. Paul Ryan spoke today. The president-elect has a mandate. Mitch McConnell spoke today. The Affordable Care Act is dead on arrival during the new, during, during the new Congress. And so everything President Obama worked for is going to be surgically dismantled over the next, probably before the midterm. Because guess what? That's what Donald Trump voters want. They want them to do it. And if you think Donald Trump isn't looking forward, if you think the people in his ears, Steve Bannon's and Corey Lewandowski aren't telling him, hey, if you want to be great, if you want to be known as a great Republican president, this is how you do it. You got to beat them and beat them big. Not, and it, doesn't end, it didn't end last night. The whooping doesn't end la didn't end last night. What say you, John? Well, I think um, if he stays focused, um, he'll be able to do all of that. Uh, if he is able to get along with the Republican Congress, uh, he'll be able to do all of that. Uh, that's yet to be seen. Um, you know, just how cohesive he's able to be as president. I don't, I don't think this is going to be like any job he's ever had in his entire life. Which is true. Uh, and so, 
you know, it's 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 interesting to basically see how how he might adjust to this. Um, I think we uh, there are potentials for lifelines for Democrats, and I think that potential lifeline is um, we did not lose seats that, in which, the House, or which Senate. is true. We, we didn't gained. lose. We, we just did not take control. Right. So that is that is a positive. And when you gain more control, that means the Republicans may need your votes on a little more. Because Republicans aren't always unanimous on, on the issues. Right. So if Democrats can work together um, in the House and Senate and leverage the smaller minority they have, they might be able to block some of this. Especially if there are Republicans who are in more moderate districts. Do you think the Republicans are going to, or more, or 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 blue states, Republicans that are in blue states? Do you think the Republicans are going to um, force change? Um, the filibuster rule to um, dismantle the Affordable Care Act um, via reconciliation? Do you think they're going to um, you know, are, are, are they going to go nuclear on this thing? Are they going to tell Democrats, you know what? We're now in power. We own the House. We own the Senate. Are they going to go out and say, we are going to, we went in a landslide, we have a mandate, we've got all three branches of government? Well, they, they did not win in a landslide, first of all. Electorally, they did, John. I hate to say it to you, brother. Electorally, they, they, they kicked our asses. It'll be, what, 228-310 when it's all said and done. Did you see, yeah. did, did, a week ago... Did you see Donald Trump getting 310 electoral votes? No, I didn't. So, so if, 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 if we're walking into this a, thing. It's a landslide in Donald Trump standards. What we expected Donald Trump to do, we expected him to lose by a lot. And he won. He had a decisive <laughs> electoral victory. So for him, that is a landslide. But in reality, compared to the past couple elections, I would not call it a landslide. It absolutely is a landslide. And, and, and for me... What I'm what what I'm seeing right now, and we haven't even dug into the numbers yet. We haven't we haven't even talked about you know you know Donald Trump winning Ohio, you know by over the, five the, points. The biggest reason I can't call it a landslide is he lost he lost the popular vote. Well, that's California, New York. It's true, but 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 you know you know generally when you refer to something as a landslide. Um, I, 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 I seem to want to couple it electoral and popular together. So kind of like, um, you know, Bill Clinton's two elections and Reagan's two elections. Those are, those are true landslides. Well, you know, 2008 was a landslide. Um, it, it was, it was definitely a landslide. Right. 2012, um, electorally, yes. Popular vote. No. I guess I guess my question is this: Now that we have to grapple with a a, a president-elect Donald Trump, um, you know, of course, the president and president-elect 
will meet tomorrow um, in a closed door meeting. I believe it's going to be closed door. Um, and boy, you know, I got a phone call from a from a good friend of mine, uh, Destiny. I, I don't like name dropping, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure she won't mind. But I got a call last night at about. I don't know. It must have been two o'clock, two or three o'clock in the morning. Destiny calls me, and she is fucking apoplectic, man. She is, you know, burn the fucking place down. You know, she is wild, and I'm ready to go to bed. I, I, I turned the TV off once. Once they called, you know, I, and I don't even think Wisconsin was called yet. Um, but once you know, I knew you know there was nothing else coming out of uh, out of Detroit. And there was nothing else coming out of Milwaukee. And then I see that, you know, Bucks County hadn't been called in Pennsylvania yet. And so Hillary Clinton, you know, Donald Trump had taken the lead in Pennsylvania by about 12,000 votes and Bucks County hadn't even been called. I was like, okay, this is it. Um, I'm done. I'm staring at the TV saying the son of a bitch did it. I go upstairs. She calls me. So anyway, she calls me and I'm, I'm, I'm telling her, you know, that there are ways to move on from here. But now I'm at a loss. I, I don't know how we move on from here in terms of, you know, what happens. But I would love to be a fly on the wall tomorrow when President Obama, you know, greets him, you know, hey, Mr. President-elect, what's going on? They close that door and those two are in the Oval Office by themselves, you know, for an hour, whatever long the meeting will be. Um, that would be an interesting, God, I, and, and I can't wait to read his memoirs because you know the president felt like shit last night. And I'll be the first to tell you, you know, and I said it last night that this president has presided over the worst um the worst losses of a Democratic electorate in a generation. 900 state seats. We've lost 13 plus Senate seats. Uh, we've lost close to 20 something uh, House seats. We're going to lose the Supreme Court. He's got to be sitting in the study last night watching these returns saying, what didn't I do? So I'm going to ask you, what didn't Barack Obama do? Because he didn't do well, something. There's the problem with movement politics. What up, Chuck? <laughs> if you have movement politics that isn't sustained, expect an equally extreme uh, occurrence in the other direction. Yeah. There's really no medium. If a movement fizzes out, then you're going to get beat really, really bad. So Obama was a movement. But the problem is, is they did not figure out a way to keep the Obama movement going through 2010 to 2014. If the Obama movement had produced results in 2010 and in 2014, 2016 would be a different story. And you know what? It, it wouldn't have had to have maybe um, won those, but maybe not such a shellacking. Maybe a break, maybe a 50-50 outcome in 2014. Could have maybe saved this year. 
But the reality is the movement fizzing out over time uh, took its toll on the Democratic electorate. Yeah. So essentially, the Obama movement did a lot for President Obama. I didn't do anything for anybody else. But did nothing for anybody. And you know what? That That is the... Boy, that is sad. That is probably the, the postmortem of... 2016 and you I couldn't have said it better myself it only served Barack Obama and and I don't think and I don't say that in a way that that was intentional on the president's part but it was a byproduct of his success Um, it was a byproduct of the movement that he created and now we don't have Anyone on the bench. I mean, we've got Elizabeth Warren. But Ber- let's be honest. Bernie Sanders is not going to run for president in 2020. I mean, I, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you see it? No, I don't. He's not. I but, don't but see that. Be- here's the beauty of it. One event can create a new star. It could be Kamala Harris one day with a great soundbite. And that soundbite is like, everyone's like, oh, my God, she should be president. And by the way, Kamala Harris, for those who don't know, she is the uh, senator uh, elect from California. But go ahead. I'm sorry. You look at Kamala Harris and you see someone who has potential to repeat the Obama movement if she plays her cards right. Identity politics is not going anywhere. From the Democratic Party. And I think she, you know, she's she's a half black, half Indian American, Californian, probably uh, is left as a Democratic establishment person is going to come. And if she plays her cards right with the progressive wing, she is someone to watch for. Right. So so for all the talk. Um, this campaign, um, the, the Clinton campaign in the primaries, they wanted Donald Trump. They wanted the battle with Donald Trump, right? They wanted that battle. And so you have Donald Trump, this uh, anomaly, this political anomaly. We've never seen anything like it before. And they found three issues three issues that they were going to just absolutely pound Donald Trump with. Three, his temperament, his fitness, and his treatment of women. And last night, Donald Trump won a plurality of white women, a constituency in which the Clinton campaign thought they were going to absolutely shellac Donald Trump. And she didn't. And I'm still at an awe in how he did it. I, I, this is how, this, I, I know how he did it. He did it by essentially making the majority of white women who turn out working class. Yeah. So a working class white woman surge. Another key 
another key constituency that Donald Trump won last night. Well, not won, but he won a sizable, um, a sizable percentage of them, and that's black men. Black men. Thirteen percent. Thirteen percent. Y'all hear that? And, Donald and Trump I'm, won thirteen percent of black men. I have a controversial view of that. Um, that probably, I think there's two groups there. I think you got black conservative men. Um, more of them voted for Trump than led to believe. Yeah. So you're Tim Scott type. Who I, I like, by the way. Uh, I think he's a good guy. Um, and you have your very masculine, very macho, very traditional, um, uh, maybe comes from the church uh, type of guy who is not okay with a woman holding a leadership position. Very true. Very true. So it could, it, I think it's a combination of those Especially types. a white woman. Yes. So, you know, I think, I think uh, some of those men who did not vote for, some of those black men who did not vote for Hillary because she's a woman, you know, probably would have given a Michelle Obama or Kamala Harris a chance. And the, the last shocker, um, which was stunning, I mean, abs- this is the number. This is the number that pushed Donald Trump over the edge, in my opinion, in Florida. Um, he won a third of the of the Latino vote, a third. Well, are you? You know, I, I when I saw that number this morning, I, I woke up this morning and I, I was trying my best not to not to engage with my with technology this morning. I, I woke up. I you know kind of shook myself off. Didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night, by the way. It, it, yeah, this this election was that serious. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. I went to bed about three o'clock in the morning. I had to be up at about seven, um, and I didn't get a lot of sleep. And so the first numbers that I saw from the exit polling data, I looked right down at the bottom. Thirty three percent, thirty three percent, a third of the a third of the Latino vote. What? Are you kidding me? Like really? I, this, and, and I can explain that. <laughs> Latinos are you said swing it. voters. They're, 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 swing, they're voters. swing voters, absolutely. And uh, George W. Bush got almost half of them. But I think there's an important fact we need to stress: not all Latinos see themselves as minorities. Not all Latinos see themselves as minorities. Some of them see themselves more as white folks who speak Spanish. <laughs> and they live their lives as white folks who speak Spanish. They are assimilated to society. They are accepted by the white community. Yeah. And they are considered white by the U.S. Census Bureau. Uh, and I think we're, we're, we're overlooking that. And when you when you focus in on that group, that is your most Republican block of the Hispanic community. Right. Um, they are the ones who vote Republican. It is not your dark skinned uh, Hispanic people who might have African descent or who might have native descent like a lot of Mexicans do. Uh, they're, they're not your people who have a otherness about them. They are people who look like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, very yeah. white skinned. Um, and you know, so, Thinking about 
um, a Donald Trump presidency because we now have to come to grips with a Donald Trump presidency. Um, we have to now come to grips with um, what a his presidency is going to look like. Um, I haven't really read anything. I, I've kind of seen little bits and pieces of, you know, you know, name drops for cabinet positions and him filling out his administration and the transition team working to get his government up and running. Um, but I, I've kind of been going back and forth in my mind and thinking about, um, you know, how I felt in 2004 when John Kerry lost. And I was a, I think a sophomore in college. And, you know, I remember, a, you know, my roommate, Derek Burns, and, you know, I knocked on doors for John Kerry. And it was my first big election that I was able to go canvas. And I was canvassing in, in Lyman, South Carolina. And, you know, you know, and, you know, I was fairly new to the process. And so you became emotionally invested in it. And I kind of, I'm now dealing with, as a political scientist or someone that enjoys the the, polit the science of politics, um, I'm not at all calling myself a political scientist, but someone who enjoys the science of politics. Um, you now well, have an analyst, yeah, an analyst, right? So you so so you now have to come to grips with it, okay? So now I'm thinking about what would a Donald Trump presidency look like? Let's talk domestic policy. First 100 days. The first 100 days, we're looking at, you know, of course, num issue number one, to, to keep that base happy, I can tell you folks right now, everyone that's watching, the Affordable Care Act is going to be dismantled. Now, there are certain ways, it's not going to be dismantled completely, there's not going to be a complete repeal of, of the law, um, because, there's, because there's certain financial you know, instruments that have to be moved around and things of that nature uh, that keep the law intact. But the fundamental core of the bill is going to be gutted. It is going to be gutted. Um, and then, of course, you know, we hear, we hear the news today about Nancy Pelosi wanting to join hands with the, pre with the president-elect and uh, possibly working on a massive infrastructure spending program. But here's what what just i mean just eats my ass man i mean it really does these are the very same things that the president himself was trying to get congress to do in the midterm of 2014 hey send me a bill that spends more money on infrastructure and i will sign it right away and republicans said how do we pay for it how do we pay for it instead what what do we do well Three years prior, we signed the sequester. So what do you think a Donald Trump presidency looks like domestically? We won't even get to the dumpster fire that might be started, you know, on the foreign policy front. But domestically, what does it look like? Best case scenario. Best case scenario, it domestically looks like George W. Bush. Oh. It looks like George W. Bush. Because here's the thing. While he claims he's not of the establishment, a lot of the mid-level aides who actually make policy, yeah. who do a lot of the grunt work, are going to be some of the same people from the Bush years. You sure? I, I'm 100% I'm, I'm sure. Because okay. as far as top Republican operatives are concerned, it's a small community. Yeah. Your top-notch operatives, they circle around a lot. 
I guarantee, you know, I guarantee you that the Trump campaign has people who came from the Bush campaign. I guarantee you um, some of those same people who are circling back around. I guarantee you someone from the Bush administration, uh, they might not have been super high level, but someone who was mid-level, someone who was a senior level person, but not the top level person, is going to come over. Yeah. And they're going to get recommended because the elite circle of the GOP is a small circle. So, you know, that is going to be the influence of, of Paul Ryan. That is going to be the influence of some of the establishment people. He's uh, um, he has embraced your Jeff Sessions, uh, you know, people like that. Oh, geez. Don't mention Jeff Sessions. Uh, who yeah, is yeah. who is a, you He's know, a racist. A Diehard racist guy. Absolutely. And, um, you know, but I don't know what you, else you would expect from Alabama. <laughs> uh, so, no, I think the best case scenario we can hope for is a Bush administration. I think the best case scenario on the court we can hope for is maybe um, you get one conservative justice appointed. And, you know, there's rumors uh, that Clarence Thomas will be the next to leave if that's the case. Um uh, you get a conservative replacing a conservative, and hopefully uh, midterms come around, and um, you know you can get uh, a few more folks in the Senate. All right. To uh, you know moderate uh, some of the choices that Trump would have to put out there. You know, um, and 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 thinking about uh, thinking about you know his you know his economic policies. Um, you know, I had a professor in con law t- uh, tell me um, a long time ago, um, give Republicans everything they want. Give them everything they want. Give them everything they want. And we're going to have young girls. You know, I pray to God this and, and I don't want to be apocalyptic. You know, I, I really don't. I, I've been reading a lot of things on Facebook that have unnerved me. You know, everyone knows my mantra. Elections have consequences. This shit doesn't happen in a vacuum. These things don't, don't, don't happen, um, you know, without consequence. What Donald Trump does will affect all of us. Yes, if you're poor today, you're probably going to be poor four years from now. Yes, if you are making $50,000 a day, you're probably making $50,000 four years from now. But on the uh, on the micro level of your life, on on the on the larger issues, Roe v. Wade, you know, um, immigration reform. Well, you know, I don't. I mean, he won a third of the vote, so I don't know if if if, if that's off the table as well. Um, those things are going to happen rather quickly, and probably without any Republican opposition. And so. What I think about when I when I think about a, a about a Donald Trump presidency, especially if he g- listens to the far right of the party, because this is not the same Republican Party of George W. Bush. This is not the same. This is not the party of Mitt Romney. Um, I, I think more than ever now we have to be concerned about certain policies being implemented that hurt real people. Well, in that case, think about what life in a red state is like. That will be the United States of America. Well, that, hey, well, I'll tell you this. A lot of poor folks in in, in red America, I'll tell you that right now. And so if you're telling me that, think about America as a giant, 
you know, excerpt, a lot of poor folks. But I'll tell you, but, you know, one of the things that was confounding, that, that was confusing for me last night was take a state like Wisconsin. Most of the counties that, Mitt Rom- that, 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 that uh, Donald Trump won saw the sharpest decline in unemployment under Barack Obama's tenure. And she still couldn't win. And so this wasn't a this wasn't a, 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 a you know some kind of you know repudiation of of Barack Obama. This was a repudiation of, of Hillary Clinton, in a way. But but I, I kind of want to go back to um, thinking about what his what his first one hundred days is going to look like. What do you think he's going to take up his first one hundred days besides the Affordable Care Act and trying to get that gutted? What other initiatives, top initiatives, do you think he's going to kind of, you know, tackle in the first 100 days? Well, I think, um, you know, he's going to probably come up with uh, an economic plan. I think in the latter part of his campaign, the general election campaign where he won over more people, it was with his economic plan. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think um, there are black Americans a very small amount, you know, probably me and my wife, uh, that is economic plan benefits. Absolutely. Probably, be- probably they, benefits me and my wife. They're sure, they sure as hell going to benefit me, I tell you that. I I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for lower taxes, especially mine. Holy smokes. You know, I, I think I think it's going to benefit uh, myself and, and, and my wife. My wife is a uh, small business owner and, you know, I... Uh, uh, you know, I get pre- as a millennial who's who's paying off uh, student debt, who might be a higher earning millennial. I get hit pretty hard, and so um, you know, there I could use uh, some tax relief uh, <laughs> sometimes. And so, um, you know, I think uh, you know it's going to benefit a small amount of us. Yeah. But I could give two shits about that. Right. Honestly, I could give two shits. I care more about society. I care more about, um, you know, how I am going to be viewed in America, how yeah. um, my nephew is going to be viewed in America. My, I, I care more about, um, uh, you know, how my brother-in-law is going to be viewed in America, who, um, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned about the policy as much as what the mood, the mood of the, the country mood of is. America. Talking what this to- does with race relations, what this does um, to even me in, in corporate America. Yeah. I, I have to tell you, I experience really bad racism in corporate America. Everybody acts like, not everybody, but a lot of people have acted like in, in many of my positions I've been in that I don't deserve to be there. Yeah. Because I because I'm black and I feel like, um, you know, you could see it and you could see that become even more pronounced in a Donald Trump America where someone like me trying to make it out there could could have more of, of a of a stumbling block. And I, I think it hits. That's the thing. Like racism uh, doesn't just hit the lower class. It's the middle class and it even hits the upper class 
of, of black America, because yeah. at the end of the day, we are still black to them. I want to stay on that on, on that topic for for just a for just a minute about the mood of the country, because right now the mood of the country is is you know Don, you know Donald Trump. I, like I said, I didn't watch his uh, his victory speech or his acceptance speech or whatever the case might be last night. I didn't. Um, but the mood of the country, we are divided. We are a divided nation. Donald Trump is probably the most divisive president that's probably ever going to be elected since since Richard Nixon. And um, with that being said, he's going to come in with a political mandate, but he's going to come in with a political mandate from a from one class of people who really voted for him in large numbers. Um, and so I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen the protests in Times Square or the protests in other major cities, but that's going to continue for a while. And I don't know what's going to happen on his inauguration. I have no idea. I mean, we thought 2000 was bad. I, John, I don't even know what to think about what the country's going to see on January 20th, 2017. Um, so I, I've, I've kind of stepped away from the frightening phase. I've always been frightened about being black in America. I was telling my colleague today at work that I have to explain to my black son, you know, if a police officer tells you to bark like a dog, you bark like a dog. I want you to come home and we'll take care of everything else later. Um, yes, you'll be humiliated. Yes, you'll be dehumanized, but I need you to come home. And so I, you know, no white man ever has to do that to his white son. And we can talk about that all day. But it frightens me that a Rudy Giuliani is being considered for attorney general. He's the top law enforcement officer in the nation. And that in and of itself is frightening. Um, so really quick, um, I, I kind of want to spend the last few minutes. I, I got some questions that I kind of want to answer from those on um, who are watching. By the way, y'all, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to try something new today, and I, I I was thinking about it at work, and I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw shit at the wall and just try this. So thank you guys for watching. I really appreciate it. I really do. Um, but first question, um, and this is from one of my cop. This is one. This is one of my brothers in arms. I served with him for nearly uh, almost ten years in the military in the U.S. Army. Uh, from from Rodney, what's going on, big dog? Hope you're doing well. Hope the kids are doing well. He asked, "How do we get um, more blacks to take the election serious, John? How do we how do we do that?" Well, it has to be a twenty four seven, seven day a week, every year thing. We have to treat the sheriff's election, the school board election the special election for the for the county commissioner that retired that stepped down abruptly that you got to come out on some weird date in the middle of the summer we got to treat all civic engagement equally we have to put lots of energy into all civic engagement because on the right when you have a special election for like a member of congress or they anything they vote in mass they get out. They're like, we got an open seat. It could be Republican versus Republican. They don't care. They don't care if it's Republican versus Democrat. Because in special elections, 
you never know what parties are going to be there. Sometimes it's folks against the same party. I mean, folks from the same party. Sometimes it's not. The yeah. Bottom line, if there's if it's Republicans in a Republican area, they are going to get their asses out. And they're going to vote because it's their civic duty. It's their duty as a patriotic American. And we don't have to brand it in American exceptionalism. We have to tell them what's at stake if they don't vote for their sheriff, I if thought, they don't vote for their DA, if they don't vote for their that judge, if they don't vote for all of that stuff. So when you get them to be engaged at the local level and Congress, U.S. Senate, the presidency, yeah. that's a no-brainer. Yeah, Get them engaged. Stop doing the... the Top down, do the bottom up engagement. The GOP, one thing the GOP gets right is they engage their voters at every single level of government. From bottom up. And that's that's the only way we're going to build a movement. And now we are probably forced to reckon with the fact that the Democratic Party is going to have to start a bottom up movement. Um, getting uh, young folks engaged, getting, you know, one of the things that disappoints me the most. And, you know, you know. My son has the fortune, you know, the fortune of, of always hearing me talk about politics. So he's decently aware. But there are a lot of young people out there that have no fucking clue what's going on in their country. And I'll tell you this. They have no clue and don't care. They don't care. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't affect them. They don't see they don't see the effects. But we're going to have to change that on to the next question. Um, let's see here. Um, good question, Henderson. Henderson was one of my roommates. He was my roommate in, 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 in uh, my freshman year in college. No, my sophomore year in college. Henderson asks, um, how will polling change for the future? Will it change or will this be considered a fluke? It wasn't a damn fluke, I'll tell you that. He won. <laughs> he, he won. Um, the polls were wrong. Uh, they were dead wrong. Um I won't say I won't say that they were wrong and that Donald Trump shouldn't have won. Most of the polls that came out in the last week were in the margin of error. And so, like I told you at the top of the show, most of the data that the Republican that 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 the Repo that the Republican National Committee had had Donald Trump within a tenth of a point of Hillary Clinton. And so it only took about two points to swing this thing in his direction. So the polls won't change. The uh, you know maybe you might see a much more aggressive um, method you know methodology in reaching voters, but the the overall landscape of how we poll this nation and how we take samples of the electorate is not going to change. I don't see that changing um, because the polls weren't wrong. Um, I just think that. Um, the election was always going to be close. It was always 50-50. And we didn't recognize it as being 50-50 from the very beginning. We went off of, you know, I think we we didn't take Donald Trump seriously because we didn't feel the, uh, the groundswell movement of the white vote um, and his message that resonated with a lot of Latinos, a lot of black men. We didn't see that. And so we took it for granted and we missed it. We, we just missed. Um, John, I, and this is another question for you, John. Um, who is the Democratic Party going to groom for 2020? You know, I have no clue who they're going to groom. You know, it's not like 2016 where we were all pretty sure 
um, four years ago when Hillary stepped down as secretary of state, that she was probably getting ready to run for president. Yeah. It's not like that. And I'm glad it's not like that. We need a leader to step up. And I tell you what that leader needs to be. They need to be the best of two worlds in the Democratic Party. They need to appeal to the identity politics of the party, and they need to appeal to the emerging populist progressivism. The best example I could say, and I'm not saying it can't be a white male. It can be a white male, but if it is a white male, it needs to be like the Canadian prime minister, Justin Trudeau, who would appeal to the millennials. So we need the American version of that. So essentially, uh, yeah, we're going to have to... um, Get a passionate, charismatic, uh, attractive candidate that can really, um, you know, do a repeat of what Bernie did and a repeat of what uh, President Obama did, but sustain that. So I think the midterms could be a good uh time for that leader to show themselves somebody in the midterms who can um really get someone get our electorate going is probably someone who should be running for president yeah next question my friend and i'm gonna i'm gonna take this one and and then i want i want you to see i want to see what what you say so my brother who's in bahrain serving our country uh cesar belton um we went to high school together um, he asked, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take one of his questions. This is a really interesting one. Let's pretend it's 2018, or we're going into, you know, we're we're January 2018. Um, I'm gonna add, I'm gonna little do a little ad lib for you, Caesar. Uh, Donald Trump's approval rating is at like 40, percent okay? Because I think it can go that low. I don't know. I'm just pre- I'm I'm just pretending here. Um, but doesn't suck. Either will the Republican maintain the House and the Senate? Well, I'll tell you this. First of all, like I said, we didn't lose any seats in the House last night. We only gained seats. So in order for us to win the Senate or win the House, we'd have to probably pick up about 20, uh, about, uh, I want to say 18 seats. I don't have the exact number. We probably got to pick up about 18 seats. But on the flip side of that, we're probably going to be defending a lot of seats in 2018 as well. Um, and it is possible for us to pick up the Senate, but the house is going the, it would take a wave election, um, to move the Senate and move the house in our direction. Um, is it impossible? No, because the Republicans did it to us in 2010. They sure as hell did it to us again in 2014. Um, but it's going to take Democrats being disciplined, being on message and, um, organizing from the bottom up to begin getting candidates elected across the board. Um, and that's going to take, um, one, it's going to take a new, uh, it's going to take a new chairman of the DNC, someone that's going to organize. Um, and it's going to take someone totally different. Donna Brazil can't do it. Um, I would hope a David Pluff, a Jim Messina, um, or, you know, maybe a David Axelrod, I would love to. I would love David Pluff to run the party. Um, by the way, David Pluff was the campaign manager for uh, Barack Obama in 2008, um, and Jim Messina was the campaign manager in 2012. Uh, those are they are masterminds. Uh, 
Um, John, what do you think about 2018, my friend? If Donald Trump's in the low to mid 40s approval ratings, do we have a chance? I think so. I think um, we can't wait till then, though. We've got to start organizing now. The DNC needs to pick somebody who is a sweet spot, a very, very good operative, but somebody who will bring the populace back in, bring the Bernie folks back in, bring the different coalitions back in, bring the union types back in. It's got to be a dynamic leader who can really knows how to organize all those groups. And and then then the men you just mentioned would be good for that. But I think, um, you know, it starts now. It literally starts, you know, right now. I think it starts the beginning of the Trump administration. You start looking for ways to attack Trump and the Republicans and show how the Democrats can do it better. Okay. And you start pointing that out. You start getting your all-star Democrats in front of the TV. You start getting them on the Sunday shows. You start getting them making the circuits. You you start pushing your all-star Democrats around, who you want to be the face of the party. So if it's Kamala Harris, you make sure she's getting on the camera a whole lot. Yeah. All right. So. can, yeah, that is what engages our voters. Can 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 Democrats rebound by 2020? Can can you see a situation in 2020? Because I don't think I mean, look, I, for what it's worth, I don't think Donald Trump's going to be a two term president. I just don't. I mean, he's I mean, how old is he now? 70, 70, 71. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's 70, 71. OK, so he's going to be the oldest president elected ever older than Ronald Reagan. By the time he runs for, for re-election, he's going to be 74. And as you folks know, the presidency is a very difficult job. Look at Barack Obama. It's a difficult job. I predict Donald Trump won't have any damn hair at the end of his first term. Um, so looking forward to 2020, do you think we can rebuild the blue wall? Can the blue wall be rebuilt? Can we take back this I think Wisconsin? we can not only build the blue wall. Since, uh, since politics works in waves these days. Uh, We can not only rebuild the blue wall, but we can expand the Democratic map. And it starts in Georgia. To places like Georgia and Texas. Absolutely. Starts in Georgia. And and, uh, Arizona. Uh, And, you know, I think the sky's the limit once you start taking places like that. Yeah. And so I think... uh, Everything that we were hoping to do in the potential Hillary landslide scenario, we can do that in 2020, but we've got to start engaging those uh, constituencies and the members of those coalitions right now. Yeah. The engagement starts right now in the Latino community, in the LGBT community, in the unions, in the uh, uh, college students, in the African-American community, and with women with suburban uh, white women. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and, and even with groups that we don't do well with, with the veterans, we got we to do a better job telling veterans why we're the better group. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I think that this, it's going to take a bottom-up campaign. Um, I do think Barack Obama is going to have to be involved as a former president. Um, I do believe that he's going to be uh, working very, very hard He'll have to now work very, 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 very hard um, in his redistricting efforts. 
uh, with attorney hold uh, with a, with former Attorney General Eric Holder uh, to help um, combat what is coming. People, if we do not win back the House in 2020, I want you guys to listen to me. If we don't win the House back in 2020, we're going to lose the House for a generation. We're going to lose the House for another decade. They, the, the Republicans will so gerrymander the country. They will so carve this country in such a way that it would make it virtually impossible for Democrats to ever win back the House. Um, we are looking at going into the dark ages. Republicans didn't win back the House. How long was it? 60 years, uh, uh, John? Was it 60 years? Yes. 60 years where the Republicans were in political darkness. They were in political wilderness until the conservative pack came along, Newt Gingrich came along, and started, started a conservative movement that reshaped politics. And if we don't do something in 2020, I'm telling you guys right now, if you think it doesn't matter now, I'm telling you, we will lose the house for a generation. And that is not hyperbole. That is not apocalyptic. Those are facts. Those are absolute facts. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of want to close this thing out real quick, John, with, uh, with some, with, with your closing thoughts. I'm going to, you know, get, I'm going to give you a minute to give your closing thoughts. Um, just spill your guts, man. Spill your guts. Well, I just want to remind everybody that I am uh, chair of the Georgia New Guard. And, you know, our mission is to essentially improve the culture of politics in Georgia. We are a progressive leaning organization. Uh, and, you know, one of the things we're going to do is, is, is get involved with uh, other organizations to just, um, you know, spread awareness about midterm elections and you know recruit good candidates for for midterm elections at the state legislative level uh and uh at the congressional level uh you know we're supporting a congressional candidate and uh you know just raise money run the shadow campaigns and you know help uh you know engage young people in the political process uh so i think we've got to do whatever we can to keep engaging people in the political process, even in the midst of one of the darkest moments in, in modern political history, you know, electing someone who spits out racist, xenophobic, misogynistic things uh, and incites hatred to get elected. Uh, and we can still uh, fight back and get involved and we can uh, go into 2018 with the edge. And, you know, I think we need to uh, learn our lessons from this year and yeah. somehow unite, put a united progressive front up there. I think the old guard of the Democratic establishment, they're going to have to let go of some things. They're going to have to clear the way for some new blood. And, we got to uh, let go of corporate. And if they don't, and if they don't we're going to have to uh, challenge them for it. Yeah. John, um, it's been fun, my friend. Um, last night was everything was 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 anything but fun. Um, we took an ass whooping last night. Um, last night was a cataclysmic loss on a on a scale not seen in a generation. I'm 31 years old. I'll be 32 in December, and um, the last time a Republican won the states that Donald Trump won last night 
Um, I wasn't born yet. Um, so that should tell you all exactly uh, what took place last night. It was cataclysmic for the Democratic Party. Um, and we can only hope um, to, to, to work harder to regain the ground that we lost, um, to, to build a bottom-up movement, to so, talk to people. Um, you know, I, I think too, 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 too many times Democrats, we talk at people, we lecture people with high mindedness and, you know, we, we lecture them with policy versus getting to their gut. Everything about Donald Trump was about gut. Everything about his candidacy was about gut. Uh, um, you know, him running for president was about gut. It was all about political instinct. It wasn't about the numbers. It wasn't about the facts. It wasn't about emails. And it was all about gut. And people voted with their guts last night. And Hillary Clinton did not see it. She, her campaign didn't get it. And um, we're going to have to find a way to rebound from this. Um, and it's going to start from the bottom up. It's going to start from pretty much from scratch. We're going to have to find new leadership who's going to usher in a, a new Democratic Party that's going to talk to people's uh, concerns and needs economically. Um, and if we can't do that, if we cannot do that, um, I won't I will not pretend that, um, you know, you know, a majority of my friends are white, um, but a majority of my friends are African-American. Um, there isn't going to be a Democratic Party that we know if we don't do something in the next four years. And if we don't begin organizing, um, you know, of course, my goals over the next year and a half to get my ass in law school, go to law school and do my very best to make a difference um, uh, when my time allows. Um, I want to thank all of you guys for watching, um, you know, spread the word. I, you know, this is you know, it's, it's an experiment. You know, John was, you know, John has been more than kind. Um, he's a brother. Um He's a friend. Um, I love him to death. Um, and we're going to be talking more about this election. We'll probably be talking more um, as we lead into the inauguration, as we lead into um, the lame, you know, the, 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 the lame duck session for Barack Obama. Um, so we'll be back. Um, I won't. We, I definitely will not be back next week. Uh, we're going to it's going to take a while for us to, to digest this, to come to, to come to terms with with this loss. Um, but we're going to be stronger, better, um, and, uh, and, and more hopeful. But I will say this, though. Um, I'll say this. I am rooting for Donald Trump. If you think for one second I'm going to agree with those on Facebook talking about the apocalypse and, and the country you know, coming to an end, this country has weathered bad presidents. We weathered Andrew Johnson. We weathered Herbert Hoover. We weathered Richard Nixon. We weathered, especially black people, we weathered Jim Crow and reconstruction and mass incarceration. We will weather Donald Trump. Everybody take a deep breath. Go have sex. Drink some whiskey. Drink some wine. Watch a movie. Don't watch CNN. Don't watch Fox News. Don't watch MSNBC. Get away from it all for a while because you got four years of this shit. OK, you, you got four years of Donald Trump. He ain't going away. And all this talk of assassination, that's bullshit. OK, the presidency is not a person. It is an institution. It is an institution. And an assault on Donald Trump is an assault on the nation. And 
Um, it would do the nation great harm to harm Donald Trump. I don't care who you vote for. Um, but this is my come to Jesus meeting as a Democrat. And you now got to root for the guy because if you don't, if he fails, damn it, we all fail. All of us fail. When George Bush failed, 8 million people lost their homes. 8 million people lost their jobs. A trillion dollars in, 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 in financial wealth went out the window. So when, when he fails, we all fail. So I'm rooting for the guy um, to, you know, to, uh, to be successful. But I'm also rooting for Democrats to stand up to him if he goes too far. And so with that, I am out. Um, John, I thank you. You're my brother. We'll talk more offline. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host of Let Me Think Out Loud. Um, election 2016 in the books. President-elect Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States of America. He will be inaugurated on January 20th, 2017. He will be Barack Obama's successor. And um, for some, that's a bad thing. For some, that's a good thing. But we're still all Americans. And that's the truth. We're all Americans. But elections have consequences, people. I've been saying it for, for, I've been saying it for a year. They have consequences. They're real. And if you don't go vote, and if you sit at home and you, you know, you're apathetic and you're cynical, if you don't have health care now, you're not going to have health care in two years. That's a fact. If your teenage daughter gets pregnant now and Donald Trump is, a, is, is able to put two or three conservative justices on the Supreme Court, and this is not, this is not hyperbole. This is real. Women could lose the right to choose. Women could lose their right to make decisions on their reproductive rights, on their reproductive decisions. And if, if, if we don't do something, um, if we just sit back and, you know, think this thing is over and, 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 and think this fight is done, um, we're going to lose a whole lot more than we lost last night that I can that I can guarantee you let's do this for our kids let's do this for those those young people who don't know what the consequences of the last night are let's rebuild from the bottom up and that's all I got for you guys I thank you all for watching I thank you all for listening check me out on iTunes on SoundCloud let me think out loud I love you all God bless America <laughs>